Leading a school district is a unique responsibility, and it's clearly not getting any easier. People rely on you for answers to complicated problems, which feels isolating and sometimes unrealistic. Conferences or webinars, even good ones, don't solve problems when you need it. And sitting and staring at slides with someone talking at you doesn't help either. What if there was a better way? What if you belonged to a national, hand-picked community of Java-alike school leaders who could circle up to strategize and solve your most challenging problems when you need it? What if you had access to ongoing content that helped you solve problems and lead every day? There is a better way. When you join Leading Ed Solutions, you'll join a carefully selected, highly committed group of Java-like peers from across the country, a support system beyond your backyard, school leaders helping other school leaders, real people tracking real issues in real time. Simply submit your challenge. We'll circle you up with your peers to provide solutions. Our content works because it's accessible, practical, and created by proven leaders just like you. You don't have to lead alone. Apply to Leading Ed today and discover why circles are better than rows. Ladies and gentlemen, how are you? My name is Jeff Rose, the founder of Leading Ed, and today we are bringing another leader chat. Now today is special in a number of ways. Uh, first off, our leaders who provide content for other leaders um, can come from a, a myriad of avenues. So we have some uh, sometimes service providers, some um, people who are working within the industry of school districts, and sometimes just really incredible uh, authors. Um, in the meantime, we also have such talented members of Leading Ed. And over, um, over time, we have realized that it's really important that we tap the collective wisdom of those that we're serving. In the meantime, this is a special time of year. This is Black History Month in February. And so one thing too we are going to really focus on is tap the collective wisdom of our African-American leaders who are part of Leading Ed. And we're so fortunate that we just work with um, and our intent is to support our members in such a way. And so um, today I'm excited to introduce Dr. Reva Cosby. Now, um, I am going to describe a little bit uh, about her background, but her background um, is really important, but it's also what she, um, it's her thoughts and her considerations that are going to be really, really important. Um, I can tell you she is the superintendent of Trotwood Madison City Schools in Ohio. She's the past superintendent of Healthy City Schools near Cincinnati, and she started that in 2015. She earned her master's from Wright State University and her doctorate from the University of Dayton. Um, she also worked in urban and suburban school districts in the Dayton during her career. She taught in Wilmington College and was principal at Wayne High School. Uh, Trotwood High School, also unit principal from 2004 and 2007. So obviously she kind of came back um, to an area that she had worked in earlier. And she was a teacher and grant writer for the Dayton Public Schools. Now earlier in her career, you wouldn't find this by looking at her up on LinkedIn, but because I know her, I know that she was a teacher's aide in Chicago and also a high school social studies teacher at a psych hospital in Atlanta, um, which is something that we had in common because that is, that is where I live. And I also know this because I, I've, gotten to know, I've gotten to know her. She's just skilled in her ability to collaborate with others. And she has this 
really strong willingness to lin to to listen excuse me and to work with anyone and she has a way of just working sometimes with folks that other people can't and so ladies and gentlemen without further ado i'm going to be um inviting reva in and so welcome welcome dr cosby how are you oh let me unmute you how about now now i'm even better <laughs> bingo thank bingo. you thank you absolutely thanks thanks so much thanks so much for coming on the show today i appreciate it mm-hmm. thank so, you for having me of course so you know of course i i i know you um i've gotten to know you definitely a little bit over the course of this year but maybe you could just tell our audience more about yourself in terms of what I missed in your introduction, because I miss things. I may have um, had some things incorrect, but the point is there, there's nuance more than just what you've done in terms of your career. So just tell us about yourself. Okay. I, I appreciate the opportunity to do that because um, I think, especially in light of the fact that this is black history month, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, how I ended up in education and why I love it so much. Um, but I was, you know, Brown versus Board of Education happened in 1954, but it said with all deliberate speed. So I went to a totally segregated elementary school because they didn't move with deliberate speed in Virginia at the time. And so um, for me, that was a unique experience. The teachers there were very caring. They were your neighbors. It was really um, a very great experience and it made me love school. I was bused um, to an integrated school when I hit middle school. And the thing that was um, most glaringly different for me was the fact that um, when I was in class in my segregated classroom, I knew all of my students and we were all considered to be, you know, just really bright people, students, a lot of high expectations. When I moved to the other school, I found I was oftentimes the only black student in a classroom. And so that was a little bit different. Um, as I moved through school, you know, I realized that it was very important in my case that my parents were just so invested in education. They had five children, we're approximately two years apart, and they started this journey when they were 18 years old. So I met all of those um, descriptors that today we would say were at risk. But of these five children, you know, um, and I, I don't want to bore you because I know I've shared with you before, but I want to tell others because I'm very proud of them. Four of us went to the University of Virginia and three of my siblings are um, in the legal field, two are attorneys and my sister is now a retired judge um, from Philadelphia. And that middle brother was truly a middle brother. He ended up going to the Navy, but he did work for Xerox and he did well too. And you know, I think about in a time like this today, when our students do need so much, what was the difference? What did my parents do? Well, all five of us at a time when we were little shared a room. My brothers were in bunk beds and me and my sister shared a big bed. And there was in our room a big um, poster that said justification for education. And it was like a Lamborghini, like four really fancy cars. And it was like set somewhere, I'm sure in Florida, California. And 
we kept that in there. <laughs> and, and I think we sort of all aspired to do well, but that was my parents' thing. They didn't want us to work as hard as they did. Um, my mother was a factory worker. She started work when my youngest brother started school. My father worked three jobs, primarily most of his life until he got older. And then he worked as a head custodian, but they were hard jobs. He worked in a foundry. He um, drove cab every night. That was job number three. And then he would um, pick up other things along the way to make sure that the five of us had the things that we needed. The reason why I um, am pointing those things out about the life that we were leading at the time is because if we could make it and we did fall into that category, you know, of children at risk, is something about the care that you receive from school. Because trust me, when I was telling you that we were um, all, you know, family and all that, when I was in elementary, they would call your house and tell on you if you did something. You, know, you were in trouble. And at the same time, I babysat for my fourth grade teacher. As a fourth grader, I actually was playing with her two children while she was at a PTO meeting. And the little girl fell and chipped her front tooth. Do you know the teacher really didn't get mad at me? She paid me with a Bobby doll and five dollars. And my mother made me give one of the two back. <laughs> I chose to give back the five dollars and kept the Bobby doll. <laughs> when we talk about relationships, those are the kind of relationships that we were blessed to have at that time. Um, so I feel like um, my life and the way I was raised is something that really is about relationships and we can provide that to our students, I think is very important. Um, some of the other things as I've gotten older and I think have really um, helped me become who I am is I was fortunate to travel a lot through my husband's job. So we spent a lot of time um, visiting and, and not a lot of time in the places, but a lot of different opportunities to go to European countries to learn about school. Because every time I went, I would ask people, well, how do you do school here? When, how long are the kids in school? You know, what are they doing? So I did get some ideas that I think as I move through my career have, um, you know, worked to help me make some decisions about what to do next. I've had a lot of experiences. So, you know, you mentioned, I think this is really important that as, as we celebrate Black History Month, um, I know you and I agree that I just think it's important for African-American women, you know, as a, as a woman and district leader to hear your perspective, because one, I want to make sure we honor your accomplishments, but I also think it's important that we highlight hope for the future. Um, yes. You and I both know that there is an underrepresentation of African-Americans in leadership positions, educational leadership positions, um, and right. there's also underrepresentation of women. Um, in yeah. leadership positions as well. So I think that's really imp important. And, you know, your, your story and your narrative of growing up and, you know, your siblings also thriving, you know, educationally, I think is really important for us to hear. Maybe, maybe you can tell us more about the narrative of your school district, you know. So what do you love and what are your hopes uh, for the future of Trotwood Madison City Schools? Well, um, Trotwood Madison is unique in that um, we are about 3,000 students. That's not the part that's unique, but we are huge as far as the um, amount of 
land that's occupied. So we're suburban, urban, and also have a rural side. We're predominantly African-American, and you may be surprised to know, but we actually have farmers mm -hmm. who are African-American who, you know, attend my schools. And a lot of people don't imagine that. They, they just think inner city, you know, urban. But really the diversity comes from the type of um, living that our families do, and it's sort of different. Um, we are low socioeconomic, but we are always striving to do better in that arena. And by that, I mean, um, it was just an article posted that our um, city is actually looking at the opportunity to build a multi-million dollar complex um, for the elderly in, in Trotwood. If that were to happen, then you know that may change our fortunes as far as us being a low socioeconomic setting. But what we have is the relationships. People are very loyal to the high school, to our district. Um, they work hard. They do not meet stereotypes. And I hate to use that term, but we know right now in the United States, there is a sort of backlash on what people think about people who are African-American. And so if they were to come into Trotwood Madison and see how we have hardworking people who care about their children, who um, want what's best for them, this community is solid, it's loyal, they work hard together. So I think that is wonderful. Because we do have um, a very high um, group of people who live in a low socioeconomic setting, it is important that we help those children have opportunity. So our vision in our district is 100% success for all students. Now we know when you say that, that's a mighty big term. It's a mighty, what does that even mean? So we are trying to you know, think that piece through. What does it mean for our students to be successful? And we need to support whatever that is. In our community, that could be a lot of our students want to work right out of high school. And then, of course, we have those who are college bound. We have some who really go to very prestigious, wonderful colleges. We also have students who um, want to serve, and so they would do military, that type of work. So we have a lot going on in our district, and we have a lot of work to do. But it really is a wonderful place. And the things, like I said, I love about it. We got so much school pride. Oh my goodness. Ram Nation is what they call us. Uh, and, and we have won athletic um, awards. We've been um, football state champions. We've been basketball champions. And now my goal is to make us academic champions because that's where we're lacking. Isn't it um, interesting that, you know, the, the concept of success, Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, yes. you've mentioned a couple of things I think are interesting. You know, number one, the poster that you had in your room. Right. Yes. Um, yes. And what it did, you, the poster, as I heard about it, was you talked about education and it also gave a picture of wealth. Yes. Right? And yes. Um, so I think sometimes we get caught in the trap of envisioning success as um, mm -hmm you know, maybe going one track, it being a college track. And of course, you know, higher education is, is really important. But in the mm -hmm. meantime, success can also look like a student leaves high school with choices to pursue what they're interested in. So mm -hmm. 
they have the potential to pursue what they're interested in as opposed to maybe a lack of skills deciding for them, right? So right. a student can go to college if they want because mm -hmm. they have the skill set to do it. Or a student may decide, I have the skill set to go to college, but I really want to, I really want to pursue a military career. And right. there's nothing wrong with that. that that's success because they, they got to choose, right? Exactly. And you and I both know that um, African-American males and females, for a variety of reasons and circumstances, sometimes aren't graduating with the choices they deserve, right? Right. And what I hear you saying in your vision of success is that it's your job to um, equip them academically so they can leave and decide for themselves. Did I hear that exactly. correctly? Yes, you heard that correctly. Actually, today we were talking about staffing with the high school principal. And so we were talking about, you know, the number of math teachers we need, the number of teachers. So I asked him, well, what is the highest level math that we offer? And it's honors pre-calc. And so I'm thinking, we probably have some students who could handle calculus. You know, do we need to then encourage those students? We have uh, made some decisions as a district and I understand um, the thought processes that make some of these things happen, but we have every child in a, um, in like a literacy course as a 10th grader, in addition to their English course. Now, I would say, and I will be arguing that every child probably doesn't need that companion piece, they may um, sh maybe need the opportunity to have an elective that's being taken from them because the assumption is that they cannot write, you know? Yes. So I think we need to not have as many things set up in place like that that are like a net for kids. Do some of them need it? Maybe even the majority, but we have to give that enrichment piece. We have to give that opportunity, even if it's that outlier, who wants to take Chinese, who wants to take calculus and is prepared to take it. Because again, to have the option for them to be as successful as possible, we have to have exposure and opportunity to try things that might be out of even the wheelhouse of the teachers. So, you know, we have to do that. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping to bring. This is my first year. And, and so, you know, I'm learning a lot still. Well, you know, you can't, um, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? And exactly. um, it does take time. But, you know, I, I can tell you that you you will make those changes, right? It, um, <laughs> you just don't do that alone, right? So when you go about making right. these changes, it's about engaging uh, the people and the values of the people that you serve and aligning exactly. what you know is best and believe is best for them, right? And coming together, you know, right. you, you got to go together. Um, yes. Now, you know, as you're, you're a leader, you're not, of course you're educated and so are your siblings as you described, but you pursued this really challenging leadership position that sometimes isn't as rewarding as sometimes people assume, especially during, you know, times of, at least these days in the COVID chaos. So I'm curious, mm -hmm. as a African-American female, can you maybe share some, you know, thoughts um, or how about this influences? What was your, mm -hmm. who are your influences and motivation that really kind of pushed you to pursue these leadership roles that you've taken? Right. Well, you know, making the decision, 
even about going to college. I didn't have, as I said earlier, a lot of experience from my parents. They hadn't went. My sister is the older of the five of us. And so she went to the University of Virginia. That was my experience. Um, once I got there, I'd always loved school and education. So I went into the education realm. But I wanted to be more of a servant leader. I wanted to teach you know, throughout my career. I, I felt like I would make a great teacher. But I moved around a lot with my husband and my parents always said, you know, get that education. No one can take it away from you, regardless of where you are. So I pursued my doctorate. I actually got my doctorate while I was still teaching, which was rare. Mm-hmm. You know, they want you to have shown leadership ability and that you're going to move up and, and all of those things. So um, as I started to really reflect on the leader's in my life that I had dealt with, I realized I had some really good principles. I'd had some really um, powerful people who I saw how they were making a difference in the buildings that I was working in as a teacher. And so I realized that maybe I could be a principal because it is impactful. And I thought that would be a good step. So I did um, accept an assistant principal position at Trotwood, you know, several years ago to give it a try. I really did like it, um, but one of the things that I realized was that if you don't like how things are going, what you don't want to do is to be that person that sits on the sideline and complains all the time, but instead you need to be willing to you know, pick up that banner and make things happen. So by having some experiences that I realized I would have handled differently. Let's say that I can't say something is right or wrong. There's so many choices that we have to make in this position. And the higher you get, the more you come to understand that and the reasons why people make the decisions that they do. But the reason that I um, ended up ultimately becoming a head principal, which I did for eight years and loved, was because I would have handled things differently. And I wanted to be that person. You know how they say, be the change you want to see? Right. So I felt like I wanted to be the change I wanted to see. And I'm going to be honest with you. It was a slow go to get that position. Um, I think being an African-American female did did not help my chances. Actually, I actually applied for most jobs just with the understanding that, well, at least I'll know what questions are asked in an interview. I did not believe I would get them. And that's typically what happened. (laughs) So when I did my first principalship, you know, um, I was very excited about it. And um, and I appreciate that my superintendent was willing at that time to take a chance on me. And it worked out. I stayed there for eight years and had a very good experience. Um, but I did decide that, you know what, I have my doctorate. I think I can do more. And so I decided to pursue, you know, a superintendent's position. And um it is difficult. There are very few African-American um, females who are superintendents in the state of Ohio. We have over 600 superintendencies and we can count the number of black female superintendents. I'm thinking on one hand, but at most maybe one or two that I haven't met. But whenever I have someone say, yeah. oh, I know a black superintendent, I said, tell me her first name. I know who it is. <laughs> And this is usually accurate, you know? Yeah. So, um, but again, if we're encouraging students to do things, I do think it's vitally important for them to see people in the position, you know? 
we have some students and some kids who can just sail on through and they don't need to see those things and all. But the majority of us, we need to be able to imagine ourselves in that position. So, you know, so I heard you as um, you, you were talking about going into interviews and um, mm -hmm. almost preparing yourself not to get the position because of oh. the fact you are an African-American woman. Um, yes. And then, you know, you, you have such a positive disposition, you almost, you kind of laughed it off for a moment. But let's, <laughs> let's, let's go back to that because, um, um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily always a laughing matter, right? I mean, we know no. that then we acknowledged it earlier that there is this underrepresentation and of, you know, African-Americans in leadership posts, specifically in education, and in education, right. which, which is mind-blowing, right? You would right. assume that in education, that would be the first yeah. place that we would have made the kind of progress necessary to demonstrate yeah. that all people have incredible potential, right? Based upon what they're equipped with and their motivation, et cetera, and yet. So this being at, you know Black History Month, maybe can you shed a little mm -hmm. bit more um, thoughts and perspective relative to that underrepresentation in terms of black leadership and education? Yes, yes. Um, I will just quickly give you um, an, a historical overview of what did happen because, as I said, when I was in my elementary and we were segregated, of course, black teachers taught black children. But what a lot of people don't realize is that once we integrated the schools, what happened was some teachers lost their jobs. Typically the teachers who lost their jobs were African-American teachers. And so the pipeline basically went away. Also the status of being a teacher in a um, segregated society when there were not as many opportunities, being a teacher was um, the Holy Grail, you know, so many children wanted to be in that classroom. But as time went on, of course, that wasn't the case. So what has happened is um, we are not traditionally put in the pipeline. And I'll be honest with you, um, I had my doctorate. I interviewed for a position as an assistant principal in a district that didn't have any um, African-American teachers or anything. And when I had the interview, I was told um well, come back. We can probably get you started as a social studies teacher, and I'm sure you'll move up. There was no one in the pipeline. They were not going to put me in until I had done my work. And now at this point, you know, if I have my doctorate, I've been a teacher, I've been an administrator, I've done all these things, and I would have had to start over. But that was the way they were justifying not giving, because we only hire from within. And there was no one black in. So how do we um, get more representation? I've really thought about that quite a bit um, because it's so invaluable. What Some of the things that I think we should do is to um, grow your own. I know everybody's heard about that. You know, Try to encourage students to go into education and to come back into the districts and, and work there. So then you would have an African-American presence. But that takes a little bit of time you know, to get that going. I do think we should do it. And when I was in high school, I remember there were clubs for teachers. Those sort of went away, but maybe bringing back something like that. Another thing that I really think 
um, if people would put that effort towards it and would trust that if these students are in college and in an education program, that they can be successful, even if it means training um, them to do things your district's way, that we should do that. So we go to an HBCU, we need a science teacher, okay? Mm -hmm. So we interview a science teacher. Well, what happens is we bring that one teacher back. She gets there. There are no other black teachers. There's no one who initially wants to, you know, be collegial with her and become that colleague and friend and all. And they leave. Why wouldn't we go to the HBCU? We only need the math teacher. We ask her, who's your best friend? Name two people who, who you think, you know, you could work with. Who are your friends in education? And go on and hire two more people. Then bring three people on because even though um, it gets a little bit of disparagement, there is some reason that the black kids sit together in the cafeteria, yeah. you know, <laughs> because they want to have someone to talk to that knows them and has some of their experience. And I think, and you know, and I know, if you stay long enough and you get to know enough people, we all realize that we're so much more alike than we're not. So I've worked in environments where I've been the only African-American person there and gotten along just wonderfully. I persevere and stay. <laughs> and so I get to know people and I find my soulmate, whether they're white or black or whatever. But if the question is, how do we get this started? How do we get people in the buildings and in pipelines to move up into leadership? Bring on more than one person at a time. Um, I do think that we need to try to increase the prestige of the position again. I think that, you know, we need to acknowledge the accomplishments and how hard it is. And I think that might be a silver lining associated with COVID is that these parents now are trying to do this. And these can be parents who are doctors, who are lawyers and, you know, whatever position you have, when you're trying to teach your child, and do your job, you understand the value of the teacher. <laughs> and <laughs> so we are getting really good press right now. <laughs> and I think we need to capitalize on it. <laughs> so, so let's 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 talk about this theme. And I, uh, this question may be a bit redundant, but it's 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 a little angle on what you just said. You you kind of talked about taking advantage of you know a really tricky time, right? I and mean, people have. Right. come to really honor teachers more than ever now that they have to be one, yes. right? Um, and, they, and, and they're one of their own children for which they have a relationship yes. with. And often there's just right. one or two or a few of them as opposed to 28 or 180 of them if they're a high school teacher. So, um, exactly. but over the past year, we've had um, an awakening in, in this country um, is what I would call it. Um, relative issues of racial inequity and injustice, right? We've had a number of extreme circumstances that have, um, have shocked us. And mm -hmm. that being the case, talking about how you almost take advantage of, you know, tragedy. Um, yes. That sounds odd, but, you know, sometimes that's a leader's job is to say, you know, we're in very uh, difficult time. How do we use this? so that when we come out of it, we're stronger. So how, uh, from your perspective as a, as a leader, you know, do you, do you think about how to have, you know, an impact 
um, in your school district and maybe even beyond based upon this awakening I described? Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, I think that it is an opportunity to bring up discussions that, you know, have been taboo for so long and now they're every night on the, you know, TV. So you have that opportunity to talk about what does equity mean? And I think um, oftentimes people fear that someone is trying to take their position, you know, and they think, that when you talk about equity, actually you're saying equality, that I believe I deserve, yes, this equal thing, you know? And I always love that analogy. It's like, would you give your child a pair of eyeglasses, some real eyeglasses if they didn't need them just because the other sibling did? No, right. my sister needed glasses, the other four didn't. I don't want them. <laughs> but what I do want is the opportunity to be able to see as clearly as I can, whatever that takes. So I think that we do need to have conversations that are difficult. I think it's much more opportunity um, to do that now. I think um, people are starting to understand the pain that comes with watching someone of any race you know, die at the hands of the police officers. I think that then seeing the police officers have the type of treatment that happened at the Capitol, what we're understanding hopefully is that people are human, that it's really not so much associated with your color. And so when we talk about equity, we're talking about opportunity, access. We're not trying to take over anything, but just trying to have the same opportunities as everyone else. And I think just that opportunity and how to have these conversations is a little bit easier when you can literally point to something that people can see that normally sort of got hidden under the rug if you didn't know. Like when I talk about um, being concerned about not getting a job at a job interview, and, and one of the things that's come out about a difference in men and women is if we're going for a job interview and I have eight out of 10 things that are required, I'm less likely to apply for the job than a man is who has one. You know, he has one of those things on the list, I'm gonna go and apply and his chances of getting the job are even more. So now I feel more comfortable in a meeting when someone says, well, you know, I was just given that job to superintendent when I was 20. And I'm thinking I fought hard for that job and didn't get it until I was a lot older. I won't say how old. <laughs> so, so to say to that person, you know, that's really not what we want to hear. <laughs> you know, you get more opportunity. I do think that um, there's so much hope. Kamala Harris now being the vice president of the United States. I mean, um, President Obama being president was amazing. But having a female African-American in that position, I think, is hope. And um, I'm, I'm really excited that people are going to take the time to learn about equity and what it really means and to offer it, you know, to understand that there's a need to offer that to, to people. My teachers are predominantly white. I'm asking a lot of them to put themselves in the shoes of their students, you know, but because we've been remote, they've literally had the opportunity to see the homes that their students are coming from. And this is black and white because some of this is socioeconomic. Mm 
And so middle class people are getting the opportunity to see how other people live. And it's making them more understanding of what we mean when we say an opportunity or access, or um, I just think having a chance to take calculus regardless of where you come from, because the child is smart. We don't have to assume that they couldn't learn it. You know, Yes. I, I am hopeful. I think now is a good time um, for these reasons, even though it's difficult to get through. People have had to question, is this person really my friend? You know, if they can believe in things that are so different from what I believe, but I'm hopeful. Well, for, for, uh, I will tell you this, that, um, for, for you to say that you're hopeful, that, um, that helps me be hopeful too. Um, you know, for, especially as it relates to kind of the narrative and, and journey you've had so far. And I say so far, cause you know, you're, you're, you're not done. Um, so, you know, the one thing I really uh, value is the concept of leaders providing content to other leaders. And sometimes mm-hmm. um, just just saying it like it is to be very pragmatic, to be very practical. So mm-hmm. if, you know, as, as a black woman leader, based upon your journey, mm-hmm. what would you like to communicate to others? What is... You know, if it comes down to brass tacks, what is important for you to say to other people at this point? What I would like to say is to persevere. You know, once you get your doctorate, and I used to be this way, you assume that these people are super intelligent and there's no way I can do what they do, right? <laughs> yes. But we know, yeah, you know, we know that in, in reality, you persevere for what you want. You go for your goals. And I would say that to um, young people, to to even people who are midway in their you know, journey and, and they're thinking about giving up. I didn't get my doctor till I was 40. And people said, why are you doing that? And I would say, because I'm going to hopefully turn 50 and I'm either going to be Reva or Dr. Reva. And I ended up being Dr. Reva. I, pers- I persevered <laughs> and made it happen. Um, help others. Help others. There's nothing to lose by doing it. So often, and they say this about women who get in position or African-Americans who get in position, that we struggle to help others because we worry that in some way we'll diminish what we do. Don't believe that. Helping others is a true sign of leadership and know that we are serving others as well. That even though you may have the highest position, in my case, in a school district, my job is still to serve the people that I work with and work for. So I think those things would help us go a long way, would help, again, bring back the prestige to the position, would show people that you can make it to the top and and still care for others. You know, um, I, I, just, I, I want, just want to say thank you. Um, I think that not only is your, uh, your story and your narrative inspirational to me, especially as we kind of celebrate this month, but um, it's, it's just great to know uh, from my perspective that there, there are people like you who have worked so hard to be where you are and yet have, such, um, have this attitude that you still see your role is to help others, right? Um, it's true servant leadership, right? Um, yeah. um, you, you quoted Gandhi earlier in the conversation 
Um, yeah. And and I can tell you that um, you you are you are living um, the the example you want to set. So thank you so thank much you. for being with us today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we are so fortunate um, with Leading Ed to have just great, talented members. Um, and Dr. Cosby is in a great example of that. So I, I thank her, of course, for this leader chat. Um, I know that you'll all enjoy and take a lot from what you've heard. Um, and in the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, be well.